Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Tonight on Breaking the Huddle, presented by Dr. Pepper, we'll get you all set for college football's huge opening weekend. There's one game that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but I'll tell you why it's the most important game of the weekend. Plus, which top 10 teams should be on upset alert? All of that and more. Breaking the Huddle starts right now. Hey, welcome into Breaking the Huddle, presented by Dr. Pepper. I'm Joel Klatt, and I'm so excited to be here, to be here for this new format, to talk about, debate the sport that we love, college football. We are live on Facebook, as you know, and that will be the case throughout the season here in 2016. And a huge thanks to our sponsor for the entire season, Dr. Pepper, which, as you know, is a college football tradition. No tailgate or watch party is complete without Dr. Pepper. We're going to be live on Facebook every single Tuesday right here at this time, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. My colleagues at Fox Sports, Matt Leiner and Bruce Feldman, are going to join me in studio momentarily, and they'll be here throughout the entire season. We're going to be taking our show on the road about three different times throughout the season, so go live to special Friday night editions of Breaking the Huddle. We're going to call those student sections. We're going to find campus locations to bring our show right to you, the fans, in the most organic and authentic college football broadcast experienced ever. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Please like College Football on Fox, Fox on Facebook, as well as my page on Facebook, and follow me at Twitter, at Joel Klatt. Uh, here's a look at what we got on tap for today's show, and I encourage you to make sure and put comments in there and questions so that we'll get to those throughout the, the broadcast uh, real time. I'll tell you what the most important game of the week is. Alabama, Alabama begins its title defense in prime time on Saturday against USC, of course, the Jerry's World. We're going to dive into one of the biggest openers for two of college football's Blue Bloods, and I'll be in uh, Palo Alto on Friday to check out Christian McCaffrey as he begins another Heisman campaign. We're going to discuss what effect a new quarterback uh, for the Cardinal might have on McCaffrey this season. Right now, I, I want to start with something that's, that's very important to me, and that is overreactions. I was at the Big 12 Conference Media Days last month, and a friend came up to me and said, hey, the offseason gets shorter every single year, doesn't it? And I was a bit surprised to hear this and didn't really know how to respond, so I just went with it best I could. But that's not how I really feel, uh, felt at the time or feel right now three days before my first game. The offseason for me has become painfully long as we talk about everything we could possibly talk about in regards to college football, except for, you know, the actual sport of football. We allow ourselves to debate non-issues, hypothetical rosters for months, and this type of drudgery seems like it lasts years, but now we have a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's week one of the season. College football is to some degree subjective in that we have a committee that uses some level of subjectivity to reward, to reward four teams with an opportunity to play for the national title. 
Because of this, we can't allow ourselves to focus on arbitrary rankings or predictions. Rather, we just have to sit back and appreciate the purity that is college football. The games that we see this weekend are going to be fantastic, and yet they're not the final conclusion or answer to those questions and debates that have engulfed us for the last eight months. These are one piece of the puzzle, and none of us can make out a picture of a puzzle with just one piece. A win does not mean that this will be your year, and a loss, consequently, doesn't mean that it's the end of the year. Allow these teams and this season to become what it is supposed to be by not overreacting when the outcomes start rolling in. Week one of the season is such a special week. I can remember as a player, I felt like a kid that was waiting to go downstairs on Christmas when he knew it was the single greatest Christmas ever. But I was also so nervous, I thought I was gonna throw up like I was sick with some sort of terrible flu. But then I couldn't feel my own feet because my blood pressure was so high that uh, I could feel my heart thumping in my chest like it was gonna burst out of my rib cage. That is all before I even entered the tunnel to run out on the field. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Hearing the crowd is the wrong way to put it, actually, because you can actually feel them inside of you. I would say that I ran onto the field, but for all, all I know, I was floating. It was such a euphoric moment that it felt like my skin was jumping off my body. The best way I can put it is like is my skin was carbonated. I had to remind myself to breathe because I realized that I was about to pass out. I loved everything about it. It was the most unique experience of my life, and I miss it every single fall. Most of all, I miss doing that with my teammates, whom I had just bled with and sweat with and at times cried with for the last eight months training for this very moment. And this moment is game time, and it's finally here. College football on FS1 begins Friday night. I'll be up in Palo Alto on Friday night as number eight Stanford hosts Kansas State. Coverage begins at 8 Eastern. I sat down with Stanford running back Christian McCaffrey. Here's a quick preview of our conversation. I know you're not in this for individual awards, but when you heard Derrick Henry's name get called uh, in that ceremony, what was your emotion? You're up for an award. Uh, you want to you win it. Um, you know, I'm a very competitive person, and I was bummed, but at the same time, um, that's out of my reach, out of my control. So I got to go up there and chat with a guy that I've actually known since he was about nine years old as we welcome in Matt Leinert, uh, who got the memo clearly. It's Black Shirt Day here at uh, Breaking the who, Huddle. Who wore it better? That should be a second. Probably you. <laughs> Probably you. You also have a Heisman trophy. Let's not try to rub it in. Um, hey, make sure you're also sending your comments and questions to us during the course of our discussion about any number of topics, and we'll try to get to those uh, here right during the, uh, the podcast slash show here on Facebook Live. Okay, so the Heisman deal, obviously this is all he's heard about yeah. since the ceremony, really. You're one of the unique people that can actually speak to this, which is coming back and mm -hmm. playing, not only after winning the Heisman, but with that type of hype surrounding this season. I know Christian didn't win the Heisman, but what was that like? Like before your senior year, the hype surrounding like, hey, are you going to be better than this historically great season? Well, for us, it was so different because he's in Palo Alto and sure. Stanford is different than USC. We were in, in Hollywood. We were in L.A. We, were, we won two national championships in a row. I mean, we had security with us walking around <laughs> campus because it was nuts. It was, Wait, did you really? We did. We had we, uh, Reggie and myself, and you know, people make fun of us, but there were literally and, and literally hundreds of people waiting for us walking out of um, Heritage Hall at the time. Students to practice. or just fans? Students, fans, everything, getting autographs, and it, it came to the point where Pete was like, "Dude, we need to get to practice. Like, it would take hours." So, life was a little different, I sure. think, but but the expectation is the same and. 
it's it's unfair because when I when I won the Heisman in 04 and I came back for my senior year, I, I didn't have any intention of trying to win the Heisman again. It's very right. difficult to win it once, let alone twice. But I did feel the weight of the world on my shoulder and the pressure just to be perfect again or, or to be perfect in the eyes of the media, the fans, the alumni, whatever it is. So for McCaffrey and, and you know, reading everything about him, you spent some time with him. This guy is is about as high character as you sure. can get on and off the football field. But there still is weight, and there's weight to perform at the same level. Last year, I mean, he had a record-breaking season. I don't think he's going to match those numbers this year, and that doesn't mean It would be so difficult. It, it's just a lot of things have, have, have to happen. When you have a record-breaking year, it's very hard to duplicate that again. So I think if anyone can handle the expectation, it's himself. David Shaw is a great coach. He understands sort of how to protect this kid, yeah. I think, in a way. Uh, and, and I expect him to have a big year, but but I'm not judging him on numbers. I'm going to judge him on what he does on the field and how he impacts his football. So team. you're seeing a, a little graphic here. Christian McCaffrey, 434 total touches. Donnell Pumphrey from San Diego State was the next closest uh, at 337. So close to 100 more touches. Durability. I'm a little concerned with his durability. It, that's tough. Anytime you take that, especially at the running back position, and you take that beating, the thing with McCaffrey is people forget, and the thing I think that makes him special is the fact that he does carry 20 to 25 times sure. a game. He did last year, and yes, he does catch the ball better than anybody back out of the backfield and, and all those things, but in college, he's going to, you know, Shaw's going to ride his horse, and his horse is McCaffrey. Well, yeah, because Shaw doesn't have to deal with the long-term effects. I'm not he, saying David is, is malicious. No, exactly. But, he, but if I was a college coach and my job depended on these 18 to 22 You're years, trying to win the game. I would try to win the game, too. <laughs> and that and means he's give the, the ball best to your best player as many times as you can. And, and I think, Stan, I mean, you know, the new quarterback situation, all these things going on, Christian McCaffrey is going to get his touches. He's going to have a type of season like he had last year because he's that good of a player. Yeah. I just think people are going to judge him. It's like it's like what we did with Fournette last year. He he had a great year, but then he struggled against Alabama, and all of a sudden he's oh, he's not even up for it anymore. So that's what we tend to do. But I think McCaffrey, like I said, his character and, and just what he does on the field, it's special. Um, one one of the things that I think makes Christian so good is his awareness on mm-hmm. the field. He's got this spatial awareness right. that is is pretty unique. So what he can do is. is you touched on it. It's so rare for a feature back to also be great as a versatile back. Mm-hmm. Normally you have like a guy that's a feature back or a change of pace yes. back where he tends to he can do it all. encapsulate both of <laughs> yeah. those roles in, in one person, which is what leads to all these touches, and in, including his prowess on special teams. Uh, I was up in Palo Alto. Like I said, I got to talk uh, with Christian, and I do know him since he was about nine. Just to give you a quick story about Christian, this will tell you how good he's been ever since he was a little kid. Ed McCaffrey used to run a youth football camp oh, and you know, because yeah. he, was, he was a Denver Bronco. And so he would always ask some of the, like, the local college players, and I was a college player at the time, to come down and be like a counselor. You know? And so we would come help him run his camp. Well, Christian was nine years old at the time, and so he would come around in his group of athletes. And regardless of the station, whether it was like the offensive line station, a running back station, quarterback station, You'd always just point to Christian and be like, "All right, you demonstrate the, right. the drill," <laughs> and it's all the kids do it like him. And just, like that was our coaching. Do it like a, Christian, a natural athlete. Um, Josh from San Fran asked uh, a, a question about how was Stanford able to overcome their loss to Northwestern last year and get to the to the uh, uh, Rose Bowl. One of the things that 
I thought that they did a great job of last year was getting back to the basics. Mm -hmm. Early in the year, I thought they were trying to do too much with Kevin Hogan. That brings up the quarterback issue. Okay, so now they don't have Kevin Hogan, and they're going to go with Ryan Burns, who's Mm -hmm. a senior, over Keller Christ. And so two-quarterback system, they're both going to play on Friday night. (sighs) Drives me crazy. (laughs) Do you think it can work? Um, I mean, it can work, especially in college. I was a part of a two-quarterback system in the NFL with Kurt Warner, and it literally put my career like this because it just – I, I hated it because my confidence fell. But sure. with these guys, you know, they're, they're two similar players. So, for me, I just wonder – if you're Ryan Burns and you're the starter and, and Coach Shaw has named you the starter, but he said, by the way, Keller Chris is going to play – for me as a starter, I, it just it almost makes it, okay, i got to go out and be perfect. Sure. I can't throw an interception. I, what if I miss a read or miss an audible? And you have a tendency to look over your shoulder. Now, maybe he understands, they understand the situation and when Chris is going to get in. But for me, it just bothers me because you want your starting quarterback. And maybe he didn't separate by that much, but at least go give him a chance. Our, yeah. perfect, perfect example, when I was named the starter in 03 for USC, Pete Carroll sat me down and said, listen, we're going with you in week one. This is not, he literally said, this is not set in stone. You have got to go out there and earn and, and keep that job. And I was like, done. But he, did, but he didn't say Matt Castle or, or so-and-so was going to come in in week one and play. He gave me the job and said, you go earn this yeah. and don't look back. And that's what I did. There's a difference between that and then saying also, hey, by the way, this kid behind you is going to play in this game too, so don't screw it up. That, I mean, that's how I look at it because I've been in that situation. Was that August 30th, 2003? Yeah. <laughs> There it is. By the way, Matt and I both made our debut on the exact same day. Who did, was the first who did start. you play? We played Colorado State um, in Mile High back when they actually sold that, that building out for that game. <laughs> and Bradley Van Pelt was on Colorado State. Oh, they, were, they were ranked and favored. But don't worry, we beat them. Hey, Bradley Van Pelt, by the way, what, he was awesome to watch in college. He would just truck you. He was fun. I know. He was fun he to was watch. He was a great athlete. Uh, real quick on Kansas State. <laughs> They're going to be much better than people believe. I know we didn't get to, to touch on them a lot right now. Kansas State, it would not shock me at all if they won nine football games this year. Mm-hmm. It's the prototypical overachieving Bill Snyder team. Um, let's move on to the, to the game that a lot of people are talking about. Your alma mater. Oh. USC's got to go down and play in Dallas <laughs> and play Alabama. Do you have a, like, I don't want to ask you for a prediction right now. What's your, what's your hunch about how USC is going to play? I think, I think you, I, I mean, I know we, we view this differently because I know you can't stand USC this year. I don't, they, I, you, listen, you think, I don't have any problem with USC. I think they're, they're going to play well. I think they, their offense, listen, it, it's just the, the week one, anything can happen. You don't know, we don't know Alabama's quarterback situation. We don't know. There's a lot of unknowns in mm-hmm. week one. That's why upsets happen early in the season and my my gut is telling me that it's going to be a long day especially as it gets later in the game when when Alabama is just running and running and running all over our defense all over USC's defense uh, I'm excited to see Max Brown um, mm-hmm. it, it's a tall task He's waited his turn yeah it's a tall task to come in and, and expect him to play lights out against the defending champs but I'm excited to see him play I'm excited to see an offense that is going to be built around running the football with Ronald Jones. They have a talented, talented group of skilled players around Max Brown. So I'm not going to judge this performance based on one game. I think by the end of the year, Max Brown is going to be an NFL-type prospect. I think he's got the size and the arm. Um, but it, it's a lot to, to say that USC is going to go in there and you know pull off the upset. 
You know, for, for me, I, I've never seen a season with this many question marks of the great Blue Blood programs, right? right? I mean, not to mention USC. We, we know there's question marks about yeah. USC, right? Can they, can they ever get back to that, that elite status that we saw in particular when you were there? But even Alabama, I know that they're ranked number one to start, in, at least in the AP, and you know how I feel about polls, but <laughs> they're, they're having to replace their offensive battery. And you and I both know how important mm-hmm. this is. We've talked about this. Ryan Kelly mm-hmm. is no longer there as, as the center. And then they've got to replace Jacob Coker and Derrick Henry. So when you're talking about, and I think personally that the battery is most important during pass protection. Right. And the unspoken communication, the unspoken mm-hmm. identification mm-hmm. Um, that the quarterback trusts the center is yep. going to have and that the quarterback trusts the running back to have for loading safeties and so on, that could be a lot for them to overcome. I know Lane is a smart guy and a real solid offensive coach, but that's a lot. And, and people, people don't realize how much we as quarterbacks rely i can't tell you even in at usc when when i started who was your center ryan khalil who's oh, one of the geez. best centers in the nfl and i can't tell you how many times i felt so comfortable knowing that i knew i was going to be protected i knew that my center was going to call out the mic we didn't call out the mic in college for for usc can i explain that real quick yeah go for it so what matt was just talking about was identifying the mic linebacker and they're not actually the guy who's labeled on the depth chart mm-hmm. the mic quarterbacks and offensive coaches use the term mic for a placeholder okay so regardless of if you're facing a 4-3 a 3-4 a 4-4 whatever the front is you have rules based on the protection and sometimes the protection is a weak to strong protection or strong to weak protection and what you're doing is for example we had a protection called two jet Mm-hmm. and we would slide to the weak side. So let's say we were strong right, so we're going to slide to the weak side. I had to identify the number two linebacker from weak to strong in order to put a placeholder in the ground so that everyone would know where the count started. That's all identifying the mic, and it's so important to right. understand how you're doing that, exactly. which players are second-level players versus line of scrimmage players. That's a bunch of technical jargon that is vitally important to an offense. You can't even get off the ground. Right. It's like an airplane having propulsion. That's if vital. You can't identify the mic. You're in trouble. Yeah, that's what Lane Kiffin's had that luxury. And then these quarterbacks that rotate every year have the luxury because there's so much pressure being taken off of them. So that is like I mean, that was great. That was like that was like tutoring. That was like football, two jet, three jet, all that stuff. You but know, those are the little things that, I, that the everyday fan doesn't understand how important it is to have continuity up front and having a center like that. So I think that's a big concern as well. Um, so we'll see how, how that game turns out. I happen to think Alabama is going to win by a pretty hefty margin. I hope USC plays well. I really do because I, I really like Clay Helton. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good coach. He's a football adult. I hope he has success there. I really do. Um, let's move on to, I think, one of the most unique matchups and one that I don't know if it's being overlooked, but I think it has the ability to be right. maybe the most important matchup of the weekend, although I'm point to another one a little bit later Oklahoma traveling to play a neutral site game but against Houston in Houston yeah. at NRG Stadium this this if I'm a Sooners fan is a scary matchup a totally scary matchup yeah, you think <laughs> Oklahoma's a great team Houston's very good and if I'm a FBS power five team I don't want to play a group of five team in week one 
Because the one thing I know about group of five teams is that their starters are probably pretty good and even with us. Where we're going to beat you is mm -hmm. attrition. Right. So I need some injuries to take place. <laughs> I want to face group of five team in week five, not in week one. Plus, plus they're hungry, plus the hype of Oklahoma all season long. Sure. I mean, this is a team and the coach and Tom Herman, and they got some, they got some, some, some ballers coming back yep. on that team. This is a, a game Bob Stoops is sitting there and just praying that they get out of this right. with a win especially with Ohio State looming in a couple weeks. And I love this United team. And I know, you know, we're going to talk about Greg Ward Jr., who is a, just a terrific quarterback. Yep. And, and just going back to Tom Herman's days in Ohio State with what he did with Braxton Miller and JT Barrett, and then seeing that kind of carry over to Ward Jr. And now in his second year in the system, I think he's going to take a bigger step in his development as a passer. I think that's what yeah. he can improve on. A and natural just, progression. Just a natural progression, staying in the pocket, trusting his eyes more than trusting his feet sometimes when he just wants to escape. But Houston, like you said, Houston's frontline guys can play with anybody. And They're they can really play good. against anybody. And it's an interesting game. And I know we've talked about this many times, and I know you're very – if Houston wins this game and they run the table, they're, they're a legit playoff team, possibly. Yeah, so it's a, it's a big game. Um, OU's identity on defense is my chief concern for them. They weren't great stopping the run mm -hmm. last year. I think they were in like the mid-50s in terms of their national rank. Meanwhile, Houston was eighth in the country running the ball. Um, they're missing Eric Stryker off their defense. Right. They played with and toyed with at the end of the year. Mike Stoops, obviously Bob's brother, being on the field versus being in the, in the press box and whether he's going to move upstairs or downstairs. Lincoln Riley, their offensive coordinator, went through a bit of a maturation process of how he wanted to call plays. Right. What was his identity as the Oklahoma offensive coordinator, not the East Carolina offensive coordinator? Um, that's one thing that for me, if Oklahoma just sticks to what got them to the playoff, they should win the game. Absolutely. Running the ball, wearing down the opponent. Just to give you an example, there was only three games last year that Oklahoma called more pass plays than they did run plays. One was Texas and one was Clemson. The other one was an early season game that didn't really matter, so they still won it. But in two of their, they were one and two in games that they called more passes right. than they had run plays. They're a power-running team. I don't care the set that they do it out of. They're not looking like Stanford, but they essentially are going to run that football with Samaj P. Ryan. If Lincoln Riley sticks to those guns, I think that they're going to have a great chance to win the game because Absolutely. I don't think Houston's going to be able to hold up defensively. Um, Matt, Stick around, my man, because uh, we're going to have you. We're going to have you talk about some other games uh, a little bit later. But right now, I want to welcome in Bruce Feldman. Bruce is, at least in my estimation and many people's estimation, the best insider in college football. If you don't follow him, you need to. At Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. Very good. Thank, Thank you, you very much. I don't even have the notes. Just to let you know, that was completely organic. Impressive. It's because you're a good follow. Um, week one's finally here. Are you? I mean, are you as excited as I am? I am. Just listening to you guys. I, I went and saw Oklahoma in practice, and then I saw the next day I went to see Houston. And uh, you know what? All right, I need your opinion. Then you just heard Matt and I talk about all that. What, what do you think? Here's what would scare me if I'm a uh, an OU fan. Tom Herman had some time to get ready for Alabama when he's at Ohio State. We know how that worked out. And then last year at Florida State, they took them down in the Peach Bowl. The part that I would be a little leery of for, for Houston is I don't know if their receivers are quite – I was surprised. I thought the receivers would have been a little better than they were. Now they did add Duke Catalan to Texas transfer at running back. I think he gives them a dimension they didn't have last year. He's a make-you-miss guy. Um, 
their defensive line is really good. When you look at them and eyeball them, are they quite as impressive physically top to bottom as Oklahoma? No, but their defensive line looks really good. Um, keep your comments and questions coming. If you have questions for Bruce, throw them out at Bruce. Uh, right now we're going to talk about UCLA uh, versus Texas A&M. We're going to talk about Notre Dame, Texas, some impact freshmen. So if you have questions or comments on any of those subjects, throw them our way. We'll try to get to them here live on the pro uh, program. Real quick to wrap up OU in Houston, Kevin Lawson on the Facebook page writes, I think OU's running game is going to wear down Houston. OU wins 48-24. So any games we're talking about, you can throw predictions. You think long. it's going to be that wide open? No, I, I don't no, think no, it's no, going to no. be a 24 I think it's going to be a much closer game. Yeah, and I, look, that's an, a young, young OU offensive line. Do not They're good. They're it good. is good, but don't underestimate how talented this Houston defensive line is. Um, let's move on to UCLA. Number, what are they, 16 in the country, traveling to College Station. I love these true real home, no, home no, games. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's no new I love the, the home and home games. UCLA at Kyle Field facing Texas A&M. Where to start with this one? Because the underlying storylines are so deep, and that's why I'm glad we're talking about it with you. First of all, Noel Mazzoni goes from offensive coordinator at UCLA to offensive coordinator at Texas A&M with a transfer quarterback from OU, Trevor Knight. So it's like they're trying to plug and play at Texas A&M, and, and they're hoping that that works right away. Yeah, I think the biggest area, it's funny, because both teams think they're going to be more physical than they were last year, which is ironic because Noel Mazzoni is the, the commonality here. Now, I think UCLA feels Kennedy Polamalu, you know, he's Matt's old coach. He will go in there. It'll be more pro-style stuff. They will be, there will be a lot more nine-on-seven and more physical football at practice. The difference with A&M, I think, is they had huge issues on the staff chemistry. The O-line coach, Dave Christensen, did not fit in there. No. Jim Turner comes from the NFL. He'd been there before under Mike Sherman. You know, he's had his issues off the field, but in terms of fundamental football, they are really excited about him. I think the biggest area, if Josh Rosen had the kind of receivers that Trevor Knight had, I think he would be a lot in a lot better shape in sure. the beginning of the year. Um, there is a phenomenal individual matchup. I know many of you know that like I pay attention to the draft pretty closely and I analyze the draft, scout the draft, if you will, after the season. This is a game tape that's going to be watched countless times in NFL rooms and by every scout that you can possibly imagine because there's a, an amazing pass rushing matchup going to go on. Miles Garrett of Texas A&M, many consider a top five NFL yeah. draft pick. I'm one of them. Against Connor McDermott, a very good tackle for UCLA. That could determine the matchup of the game because if Rosen can't get, yeah, can't get yeah. any time, UCLA is going to struggle. Yeah, I, mean, you t I talked to some NFL scouts. They love this because Connor McDermott is a guy who's risen. He's from SEC countries, from Nashville. He looked more like a basketball player. He has grown up to be a 6'8", 315-pound guy. He has pretty good feet. What's interesting is, you know, Miles Garrett is the best athlete, you know, probably at defensive end. He's 6'4", 260. He may run in the 4'4s at Indy. I mean, his, his workout is off That's the crazy. charts. But the guy he's going up against at UCLA almost every day in practice, Tack McKinley, was a former 10-6, 100-meter guy. Oh. He's almost the same size. Now, I don't think he's quite as strong as Miles Garrett, but when I talked to some of the UCLA staff, they said when the pro scouts came through there, they had him under 4'5 at 260 pounds. So he's got about probably as close a facsimile as Miles Garrett as you're going to get. And we'll see. But the other defensive end that A&M has, Deshaun Hall, he's really good too. Uh, they can definitely rush the passer, which could be the great neutralizer for a great passer in Josh Rosen. 
who all of us believe is a wonderful talent, he's had some questionable comments. You don't have to share every thought that comes in your head publicly. Although I thought bubbles, dial them in, Josh. I could probably take my own advice here (laughs) if you've been paying attention the last couple of days. Thank you for the audible listeners, by the way. If if you're wondering what I'm referencing, just go listen to Bruce's podcast, The Audible. You'll know within about 32 seconds of me talking what we're talking about. I should probably tone it down a little bit too, but I'm a professional, so I can deal with it. Rosen's just a a college kid. He's 18 or 19 years old, and the idea, I think one of the last things, you know, riling up visiting fans and saying, you know, whatever, and I I, maybe he meant something different. Here's the comment. Josh Rosen says, and he's going to Kyle Field, 100,000. I've played there. It's one of the loudest And it's stadiums. louder now than when you've been. 100% it's, it's loud. It was 85,000 when I played there. This was 10 years ago or even more. But he says, hey, after about 50,000 people, it all sounds the same. Yeah, that's the case at the Rose Bowl, Josh, when it just goes back forever and the stadium's not built for noise. But when you go to Kyle Field and it goes straight up in all four directions and they're swaying. And it shakes. And, and it shakes. It's for real, and it is unlike any environment that you've ever dealt with as a college quarterback. You have not played anywhere that will remotely, remotely give you what Kyle Field is going to give you. So if he thinks he's just going to waltz in there and it's going to be any other 50,000-seat stadium, he's sorely mistaken. Yeah, let's see if he calls that shot. He goes in there and lights them up, and that that defense, more power to Josh. We'll see. Um, One guy I think we'd be remiss without mentioning is Soso Jamabo. In that game, Texas kid, by the way, Texas kid. So he's going back uh, to, to kind of his roots. He's one of those guys that um, I thought Mora did an excellent job of nabbing him, kind of out of SEC slash Big Twelve country, and getting him up into the Pac-12. He's going to be likely along with Rosen, but the big, biggest benef- benefactor of Kennedy Palomalu in this pro-style run-oriented uh, game. Sean Tierney says, uh, why are all SEC teams so chicken to leave the South to play Pac-12 teams? It's a it is a good, good question. Uh, question. I what hate to think? say it like this, is because most of them don't have to. Right. Because there's no, there's almost, you know, you rarely see it to go to, to make that long trip. Tennessee has, has done it. You know, I think they did it with Tennessee Oregon a while back. Tennessee did it with Oregon, and LSU has been willing. In fact, last year. But you usually get the neutral site kid. Yes, that's true. Like, like LSU this year is going to go up to Lambeau in this first I don't know. We could ask Wisconsin. Matt this, but I, I remember Arkansas came into – this is when they had McFadden and uh, Felix Jones. And they played USC. USC could – Yeah, it, it could have literally been – if they wanted to hang 100 on Houston Nuts' team, they could have scored They probably could have. They probably could have. Yeah, they, the SEC just doesn't have to. The structure of their league is such – and this is not a knock against the SEC. I, it I want this, is. Well, I want this to, to be very clear. It, if you're left to your own accord, behaving in your own best interest is not your fault. Yes, if you leave your kids at home to eat all the cupcakes, they're, they're going to eat the cupcakes. They're going to eat the cupcakes. And, and so the fact that we don't have a commission or a unifying governing body that actually takes care of schedules and allows it to the conferences themselves the SEC is powerful enough where they're going to get the television contract without playing nine conference games and without loading up their non-conference schedule. And schedules. until they miss the playoff, there's no impetus for them to change their scheduling structure. So it's not their fault. I'm never going to bang on the SEC just for that matter. See, the Pac-12 has to schedule nine games and play tough in the non-conference 
because inherently they're less valuable to the television networks because they have less ratings. And they're also going to draw less people to come to their games. We're going to move on. That was a tangent that uh, I'd love to go down, but we're not going to go down. Notre Dame and Texas. Um, this is a game that's going to be played on Sunday, so make sure you don't forget about that. I know most college football fans won't. Uh, but Notre Dame takes a top 10 team, and they're going to go down deep into the heart for a Sunday matchup with the University of Texas. And while it looks like unranked versus number 10, this has, if you look at Vegas, really narrowed Yeah. with the suspensions, with the two-quarterback system. Notre Dame, Malik Zaire, and Deshaun Kaiser are going to get some time. Some optimism from, from Texas's side with a, a very good defense and potentially a really talented true freshman quarterback in Shane Bichelle. Adding some of the Baylor transfers, or Baylor fr freshman signees has helped. Some of those guys are expected to play right away to add more speed to this team. This season is such a big season for Charlie Strong. Personally, I think he's got to win eight games because the boosters down there are not just sitting around saying, we got a guy, it's going to take however long to get to the top. It's Texas, man. It's Texas. Yeah. And they're going to want to see the results. And they were not happy last year when they went up to South Bend and got ran out of the building, taken behind the woodshed in a game that Malik Zaire looked like a world beater and really set Notre Dame on a path for a really quality season that they had last year. The, this game, to me, is a lot more, more interesting. UT is very talented, and we're likely going to see four quarterbacks play planned Two from Notre Dame and two from right. Texas, as Tyrone Swoops is, is also going to go in there. And quite frankly, I don't think that's going to play well with the Texas fan base. They've probably moved on from Tyrone Swoops. And they have, but if he, if he busts like a 40-yard run on third and three, they'll probably, they'll probably you know, live with it. I think the expectations here, I don't, you know, you, when you said Notre Dame is a top-10 team, I feel like a lot of people... Well, don't, in the AP. I, yeah, no, I agree. But I, I feel a lot it. of people are like, eh, I don't know about this Notre Dame team anymore. I feel like this is one of the teams that people have cooled on a little bit yeah. for a variety of reasons. But somehow, if they go into Austin on national TV when they have the only game on, on the day and they win by like 14 points or 17 points, that is going to take a lot of this optimism that has been slowly building since signing day about Texas and that's, I think it's going to make it a lot tougher on Charlie yeah. Strong. If they lose close, it's one thing. But if you lose by double digits or by 17 points, it's going to, it could get ugly in a hurry there. Um, I know Matt touched on the two-quarterback system earlier. So we're going to see both teams have a two-quarterback system in this game. And the reason that I can see it more, and I'm, and I'm more okay with it from the Texas standpoint, is because Tyrone Swoops and Shane Bouchelle serve two very different purposes. So to me, they're two different puzzle pieces that you fit in to make the picture complete. Versus Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser, which you can argue Zaire's a, a bit more athletic, but they play the same purpose, right. and the, the offense doesn't change. You know, they call it like the 18-wheeler package with Tyrone Swoops mm -hmm. when he comes in, very similar to what Tim Tebow was for Chris Leak. And that's, I think that we could see that get used during the course of the season, this two-QB system with Texas. Meanwhile... Notre Dame's going to have to settle on one of these guys because you don't win championships when you have two guys that are fulfilling the same purpose, taking equally, you know, equal number of snaps in, in important games. If you're a betting man, do you think it's going to be Kaiser or Zaire? They got. I would say one. Zaire. I saw Kaiser. I thought he looked really good late last year, but Zaire had another gear to him. You know, I felt like Kaiser was still a bit of a D 
deer in the headlights when he played Stanford. He made some big throws. Zaire, when he was playing, it felt like he was he, he owned the game and the stage. I mean, he played great well he definitely has the bigger personality and he's the kind of guy who is he was the opposite of Everett Golson in terms of persona and I think they needed that I'm I'm curious to see how it plays because actually Kaiser's played more football got a question from Mikey Lee Sipes and again keep throwing your comments questions to us we'll try to get to as many as we can Mikey Lee Sipes says do you think Texas will turn the program around this year yes or no Kind of. I think they're a seven-win team. Yeah, what's turnaround? I mean, there were, there were five wins last year. I think the big key is Charlie Strong's first year, he, they were not competitive. They got a – even when you – those five games do not get blown off the field. If, if you go seven and five and you're competitive in all, you know, 12 regular season games, I think that'll look I like I think progress. he's fired at seven and five. Call Tom Herman. Turnaround for me – seriously. Turnaround for me means nine wins at Texas. Like, that's – to me, that's – Eight and a half. What if I set the bar at eight and a half? Are you going to be Oklahoma? Are you going to beat Baker Mayfield three times for the third time in a row? No. I don't know. No. no. You got you to start. You got to win those games again. That one game saved his job last year. He's not afforded that this year. No, no one game on the schedule is going to save Charlie Strong's job. I mean, listen. He he has basically thrown a lot of his old staff under the bus to get where he's at. You know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's that. Self-preservation. When you're, he's in yeah. self-preservation. Preservation. He's got to win eight games, at least, maybe nine, maybe nine. You think he's getting nine? No, I don't think he I wins think nine. He's nine. I don't think he wins nine games. But people accuse me of hating Texas. Why? Because they knocked me out and beat us seventy to three. That one was for free. Um, hey, earlier in the week, I went on uh, Colin Cowherd's show and I was arguing about the playoff. I was right. Take a listen. It's wrong on almost every account. Every Congratulations. That's yes. hard to do. Giving automatic qualifying to conference champions is the worst thing that you can possibly do. Why? You're transferring the power of each game just to the back end of the season. You want to trade in three weeks of interesting games of being the center of the sports world for three months. But we that, have three months of playoffs. that makes our regular season better than any regular season in sports. Right now, we have more teams that be, can become a storyline. We have more teams that can actually play meaningful games that impact the national championship. We should be giving incentives to teams that go out and win football games regardless of the time of year. When you're going up against the NFL, in the same season, and you're going to have to continue to build the value of each and every game, each and every month, each and every week, you can't devalue any of those. What you are then trading is the potential for a 12-0 team to get left out. How so can a 12-0 team be left out if they've actually gone out and earned it? Only if they're a group of five team and they just don't play the schedule necessary to be crowned a national champion. Right, but I, but I don't admitting care that that about happen. teams that shouldn't play for the national championship anywhere. Eight season. teams, no automatic births. No, like because name a year where the seventh best team in the country genuinely I should have best. an I need the fifth best, no, no, no. and I only have to go back two years. No, stop it. You just said eight, so now you're well, arguing five. Because you can't go to five. It's got to be two, four, eight, sixteen. Oh. Joel, listen. I feel so bad for you that you have this opinion. So there was me. That was just the start of my week of ranting about topics. Okay. I'm going to be one of those old guys. I might even be one right now that just shouts <laughs> at the clouds. <laughs> like, why do I get so worked up? I'd love so to be a fly up? on the wall in your house. On a daily I don't get worked up at home, though. Because you I get it all out of your system. Yeah. Whenever. That's right. Oh, That's right. Man. 
Um, so we had a Facebook poll up, and we encourage you to go take part if you would like. Which week one game has the best chance for an upset? Oh. We had LSU-Wisconsin on there, USC-Alabama, Oklahoma-Houston, Clemson-Auburn, Notre Dame-Texas. Uh, overwhelmingly, 42% say Oklahoma-Houston. Houston's got the chance to pull the upset. What's interesting to me about that is that in Vegas, that game has stayed really wide as far as I think it's 11. I don't really pay attention to the lines. I'm not really the line guy. Go listen to Clay Travis. You want lines. Notre Dame at Texas, though, is the one where mm-hmm. that's really narrowed. I think it's at two or two and a half. So if you're just going by Vegas, Texas Notre Dame would be the better decision rather than Houston, Oklahoma. What do you guys think? I kind of like, I think Houston has an opportunity, but I kind of like Texas. You guys just talked about it. And when you look at, first of all, you look at the rosters, I think Notre Dame is probably still more talented top to bottom than Texas, but Texas is improving defensively. You guys hit on everything. There's a lot more excitement, I think, going into this year because of the new quarterback system. I think they're just going to be overall better. And then I always say anything can happen in week one. You're at home, the crowd, the atmosphere, everything is going to, it's going to be a pretty, pretty awesome atmosphere. Texas is going to be fired up, and I think this is a type of game that can really, you guys just talked about how many wins, and I don't know if they're going to win eight eight or nine games, but this is a type of game that can really set them off for the rest of the season. If they can come out and just pull off the upset. Notre Dame is, I'm not as high on them as like you guys. Um, I think we're all in the same boat as that, but I like Texas too. I think they can pull it off. I don't care about the spread. Texas is unranked. That's a big time upset upset. if they can beat Notre Dame. And it would put the higher Big 12 on notice. Yeah. That Texas may be back. Uh, Steve Sherry says, Joel, you be anti-Buckeye, anti-Buckeye again this year. Am I anti-Buckeye? I think you're just I, anti. You're just anti. <laughs> you're just anti. You're I don't remember that last year. Thanks, Bruce. Maybe it's because they played two different quarterbacks mm. all season. I was definitely more of a JT Barrett fan. I know you were. Me too. Than Cardell. I just thought that they were better. And at the, in the end, they were better with JT Barrett. I really like the Buckeyes. They're young, though. Really Urban, young. Urban Meyer told me it reminds him a lot of his 2014 team, which Buckeye fans, you should take a lot of solace in that. No senior starters on the defense at all, and they got Isn't that 30, crazy? 31 yeah, freshmen and sophomores yeah. on the 2D. That's pretty insane. But very talented. Very talented. Very talented and a great quarterback. Um, we got another question. Is Michigan <laughs> as good as the hype they are getting? I believe that they are. I personally think that Michigan's going to have – if not the best defense in the country, a top two or three defense in the country with Don Brown, their defensive coordinator, Jabril, Jabril Peppers, who is a guy that I think Don Brown is uniquely suited to use. And blitzing, he's going to be around the ball. Right. He's going to remind me a lot of like a college version of what Ed Reed was for like the Ravens. Palomalu or Palomalu yeah, yeah. was, yeah. yeah. For the, so for they the have three, three huge road games at Iowa, at Michigan State, and at Columbus. They haven't won at Ohio State in 16 years. Do you guys think they won all three? No. No, two out of three? but I don't think they have to. Two out of three? I think they win two out of three. I've got them winning the Big Ten. By the way, got a, uh, John Hadley, shout out to you. He's our researcher here at Fox Sports, Fox College Football. Northwestern this year and Michigan this year are the first team since 96, which if you go previous to this, the seasons were actually shorter. So pretty confident in saying these are the first two teams in the history of college football to have three scheduled road games against teams that all won 12 games the previous year. That's a good fact. It's a great fact. I mean, that's obviously growth in schedules. But another question um, comes in, is the SEC (laughs) overrated? Bruce, I know this is really (laughs) up your alley. (laughs) Well, how does Joel feel about the SEC? We know, geez. 
it's all relative. I still think the SEC is the best conference. Is the, is the gap between the top to bottom of SEC better than it is some of the other leagues? No, because when you look at it, uh, Vandy was awful last mm-hmm. year. I well, think there's a lot. I mean, you know, Missouri, Missouri, was, bad Missouri was bad. Missouri has a bad offense. You look at Kentucky has struggled. I mean, I don't South Carolina, the Spurrier left the cupboard bare. So these teams, you know, the bottom of it is still shaky. The top of it, you know, Alabama is a superpower. Right. But it, is it overrated? Probably compared to the perception of it. But it's still the best conference in my eyes. Yeah, it just depends on how you want to rate it. Do you want to? Do it from overall depth or parity? Do you want to do it from top line? Mm-hmm. If you're just going by championships, clearly it's the best It's the best conference. And I want this to be public. Alabama is the best program in the country, maybe by a wide margin right now, uh, with due respect to Ohio State. Um, but the SEC is full of coattail riders, like Arkansas, Brett Bielema in Arkansas, just coattail riders, <laughs> just spouts off at the mouth constantly and goes and gets beat by Akron and Texas Tech. So the middle of the conference, I'm not sure about. I'm not sure how they would do when they venture out. That's why I think the most important game of this week one is UCLA and Texas A&M. Because if Texas A&M actually beats UCLA, who's a division favorite in the Pac-12, that gives all the credence in the mm-hmm. world, and I would be on their side to the SEC folk who want to say, hey, we're the best conference in college football, hands down. Look at the, what the middle of our conference does to the top tier of other conferences, and they would be right. Now, if UCLA were to go and, and win in, in Kyle Field, then I think you have a real debate, an issue, Pac-12 versus the SEC or the Big Ten right now, which at the top line is incredibly strong with teams like Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Matching up with the top line teams in any conference in college football. And it's cyclical because two years ago, you know, Ohio State beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. Last year, obviously, Michigan State got blown off the field by Alabama. But I, I do think it's, it's, it's cyclical. And you look, I mean, we've got a Clemson with there. I mean, I would argue that the if, if you say who has the two best teams mm-hmm. in college football, I would argue the ACC might have right now with yeah. Florida State and Florida Clemson. State and they're in the same division. And you can make that argument with LSU. We'll Although, see how they do. We'll they got to get a lot. We, we'll both, we all think they're yeah. going to be better. We'll see how much better they get. By the way, did you guys see what made it up here? Is that, is that a plastic helmet? <laughs> <laughs> it's been hard times for the old buffs. Did you, did you dust that off at the old closet? This isn't mine, although this is – so I had 10 <laughs> concussions. So this is – and this is the exact helmet I actually wore, the blue bladder, you know, the, the, air, the, yeah. the air helmet. The blue bladder, yeah. <laughs> no wonder I had 10 concussions. Let's see, how, let's see how it looks. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Thing that you're overly excited for for week one, other than just that it's back? I'm just excited that it's back. I'm excited to see the non-conference slate, which we've been mm-hmm. talking about. I just it just sets the rest of the season so beautifully. Um, I'm really excited. The Heisman naturally, obviously, had all these players that are back. Just excited. Who's going to join that. your club? Yeah, who's going to your join exclusive the club? club? But who's going to rub just, shoulders with Matt? It's at more the end of the year. about the the off season <laughs> and and just all the discussion and all the nonsense. It's finally here. Yeah, like your opening. It's just it's game week. It's awesome. Why is everything I say a rant? By the way, because you just rant. You, just, <laughs> you, you run your mouth and, and it's okay. It's what happens when you ride a bus in the minor leagues. What are you most excited about? That is back. Number yeah. one. Um, I'm excited for those guys because at some point, every great player in college football was unproven. You know, you had your start. Wasn't it at Jordan Hare against yeah. Auburn in 03? I had a start, and I'm not saying I was great, but, like, 
I did start for three years. I at one point was the completely unproven commodity. I get excited for those types yeah. of guys. How about like behind you? First state helmet. So we got DeAndre Deshaun, Francois. Oh yeah, DeAndre Francois. Freshman finally gets his, he's going to get his chance. And what's cool about that game is, you know, Ole Miss lost a bunch of players to the NFL, but they've beaten Alabama back to back. They're not going to be scared to go into Orlando, Florida, yeah. like Florida State. And Florida State's coming off of that bad loss to Houston in the bowl right. game. The last time that we saw them. This Florida State team, by the way, reminds me a lot of 13. Loaded, mm-hmm. unproven redshirt freshman quarterback. Well, that unproven redshirt freshman was awesome the, the first time, so let's see how this one does. He was pretty good. He won the Heisman Trophy. His name was Jameis Winston. Fellas, thank you. Matt Leinert, Bruce Feldman, follow him on Twitter. You can follow us, by the way, by subscribing to this as a podcast on iTunes and other podcast apps. We're going to be with you every single week live on Tuesdays at this time, 7.30 Eastern on Facebook Live. Big thanks to Dr. Pepper. Remember, it's not college football without Dr. Pepper. I'm Joel Klatt, and you've been watching Breaking the Hunt.